Amen. Everybody okay? You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus, Jesus overcame. And He will overcome. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm so thankful for y'all. And I'm so thankful to be a part of this worship gathering this morning. Are you glad that you're here? We, we praise Jesus. Amen. I mean, like... I mean, we, we were, we were out of town the other week on vacation with family and Isaac brought an incredible word last week. For those of you who were here, uh, you even got to hug somebody at the, in the invitation. I mean, we praise Jesus for what he's doing, what he's doing among us. And, and when we're going through this series called Changed on looking at what the Bible says Jesus does in us when he gets control of us is absolutely life changing. And today we're going to look at faithfulness. Uh, in the, if you have your Bibles, go in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. That's where it's mentioned as a fruit of the Spirit, meaning it's something that God puts in us. And then also hold a place in Hebrews chapter 12, and that's where we're going to be uh, for most of this morning. So if you have your Bibles and you're in Hebrews chapter 12... Um, we're going to be in verses 1 through 3, and just to give you a heads up, we're probably not going to make it all the way through verse 3. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick this up here um, in a couple of weeks. But when we talk about faithfulness, faithfulness, what does it mean to be faithful? You know, we live in a flaky culture, don't we? Like people say, hey bro, I'll be there, and then it's a no-show. I'm going to meet you. They don't know where to be found. We live in a world to where people don't think it's, it's a big deal to be late. And if you're a person who's consistently late, you just show that other people's time is not valuable to you. Boy, there's silence. Right? And people are like, I'm sorry, I just got up late. Well, go to bed earlier. I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about if you look at our, if you look at our culture, like if you do a flyover, you see like this increasing flakiness. You know what it means to be a flake? It means to be a person who gives their word, but they never ever come close to following through. And when we look at the Bible, faithfulness is not just something that we should have to do a good job for our employer. It's not something that we should have towards our family, but it has to do with an aspect of who God is. God is faithful. God is faithful to his promises and judgment and in mercy. God is faithful in his promises to make us more like Jesus. We're going to look at how God is faithful. Um, Jen and I were able to go a couple weeks ago on vacation with family um, in Florida, and we were in St. Augustine, and there was, uh, you know, you got a group of family there together, so you're trying to find a place to eat for everyone, and we said, well, let's just go find, you know, pizza, right? You can't go wrong, you can't go wrong with pizza, and uh, I, I'm a fan of CeCe's Pizza. Anybody in here? Um, all the rest of you say that is not food, all right? So we said, well, well, let's go to something that's a little bit more than CeCe's, because my family says that's kind of at the bottom of rung that you can get of legal food. And so, so we found, we found, no joke, in St. Augustine, Florida, um, a, a pizza buffet of for $5.99. Now, when you walk into a pizza buffet for $5.99, for those of you who enjoy eating, um, you're already a little bit excited. And then when you walk in and you realize they don't really have air conditioning, it should be a sign. And then when you walk up to the counter, they don't have like regular plates, bro. They got like, like Sam's Walmart special, um, just styrofoam plates. 
And that's when you're like, just do it. Right. So, so we went through, man, it was, it was, it was, guys, it would test your nerve, you know, to go through that and be like, Lord, if I get it down, keep it down. And my family's trying to be nice. I'm just eating all kinds of food. My dad, my dad, my dad, we bought my dad a golden corral gift card for his father's day gift. Like the man can eat. He eats like a pizza, piece and a half. He's trying to be positive. Like, okay, all right. How's y'all's lives going? You know, and just pass it on. After that, we went to uh, the Fountain of Youth Park. There were Ponce de Leon thought he found the Fountain of Youth. And we actually got to drink water from the Fountain of Youth. I'm like, you needed the Fountain of Youth after that pizza buffet, right? And it, man, it tasted like sulfur, but it, we were having fun, right? Cause we're with family. And we've got Micah. He's, he's going to be three in, September and Hannah who's almost a year and a half. So they're with us and we go into this this place where they show you this video of, of the conquistadors and, and it's just like I mean it was basically an academic monograph that was written by someone who can't even write and it was just red and there's pictures on the screen. Micah sitting there. I mean big round Charlie Brown head, two and a half years old, and he goes, Wow, this is beautiful. Like right in the middle of the thing. And it was awesome. About 30 seconds later, I don't like this movie, right? Like ruining everybody else's vacation. And as I thought about that, I say, you know, when you take little kids, they can be happy one minute. And the next minute they're like, this is lame. I want to go home. And I said, you know, in, in many ways for some of us, that's the way that we relate to the Lord. Certain times we see things, wow, God, you did an amazing thing in our church or in my life or, or you helped my family with illness or whatever it may be. God, you helped me get a job. But then sometimes we can be almost like children that a month later, a week later, a year later, we forget what the Lord did and we forget to be blown away by how faithful he is. And so what we want to look at today is an aspect We could say an investigation of the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God. And I said we're going to be in Hebrews 12, but let me kind of give you a little idea of what we're going to be addressing before we jump in with both feet. Um, What is faithfulness? When the word is mentioned in the Bible, it has to do with complete dependability, belief, and commitment. It means being a person who God has changed so that other people can rely upon us as we've relied upon God. Meaning a person who's faithful to the Lord. Here's what Martin Luther, the great reformer, said about faithfulness. He said, if this virtue be taken away, what is this life but biting and devouring one another? If you really sit down underneath a tree and do some thinking, if there is no faithfulness in our relationships with one another, at the end of the day, it's simply a dog-eat-dog world. Because faithfulness costs something. Faithfulness is difficult. Faithfulness is messy. But when God changes our heart, he begins to build within us, listen, not just a worldly faithfulness that says, I'm not going to cheat on my spouse. I gave a vow before God and people. There's a lot of lost people that keep their word, right? A lot of people who don't know Jesus who who may worship another God. But biblical faithfulness is realizing that God has rescued us from hell through his son Jesus and remaining fixed to say my life is going to be about Jesus and Jesus first in everything. 
The Marine Corps, their motto, Semper Fi, in Latin, always faithful. So the Bible tells us that God is faithful, and we need to have these thoughts in mind before we dive in. Let me give you uh, some aspects of God's character. If you've got your worship guide, follow along with us. God is consistent in his character. Psalm 91 verse 4 says that his faithfulness is a shield and buckler. A buckler is kind of what Maximus used. It was the small shield for those of you um, who have seen Gladiator. It's kind of a fighting shield. What he's saying is that God's faithfulness is both a protection and it's also an offensive weapon. It means that when we're being assailed by the enemy, we can trust in God's faithfulness. And when we're actually serving Jesus, we can trust in God's faithfulness as well. And the Hebrew word for, uh, for faithfulness has to do with an idea of firmness or certainty, reliability, trustworthiness. So God is faithful in his character. It means that you don't have to worry about being shadied or shimmied by God. It means for those of you who have trust issues, and that's probably a lot of us today, we can come to God and we don't have to worry about him pulling something over on us. So God is consistent in his character, but God's also faithful in his promises. The Bible says in Psalm 54 verse 5 that in your faithfulness put an end to them. Here's, here's, the, here's the idea. God is faithful in his judgment. All right, don't, don't miss this. If you're listening to this and you've not yet given your life to Jesus Christ, you can bet on it that God will be faithful in judgment. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, it says that God has fixed, that means that it's settled, it's certain, a day in which he will judge this world in righteousness. And there's a lot of people today and they say, well, Jeff, I'll probably give my life to Jesus I know I need to get saved, but I'll do that later. One thing that you can bet on is that if you meet God before you've given your life to Christ and been forgiven, he will be faithful in judgment because he's a good judge. As the old preacher said, it's going to be payday someday. Y'all okay? Like this should both, if you're not saved, this should motivate you to run to Jesus and experience his amazing mercy and grace. And if you've been saved, if you're so glad to be changed, if you love Jesus Christ, this should motivate us to give to missions. This should motivate us to share the gospel, as Isaac told us last week, with people who don't know Jesus. So something about God's character is that he is faithful in judgment. And listen, judgment is coming. Not an Arnold Schwarzenegger, Terminator judgment type of day, but a day in which God brings everything to a head and he gives perfect justice. And the only rescue is in Jesus. But for those who try to trust in themselves to say, I'm a good person, I'm better than that person, that may be true, but you're not good enough to receive the forgiveness of God on your own. Only Jesus is perfect. You see the difference? And to say, I'm a good person, is worshiping ourselves. So God is also, he's faithful in judgment. He's also faithful in mercy. Lamentations chapter 3 in verse 23 says, Great is your faithfulness. You see, the mercy of God, the mercy of God is available to all who will come to him. If you're listening here this morning or on a radio podcast, listen, Jesus Christ can save you. He can. He has mercy. You say, well, Jeff, you don't know what I've done. He knows. 
And if Jesus knows God in his sovereignty knew everything that we would ever do, and yet he still chose to send his son. For some of us that have had people that we used to call friend, and we say, well, I had no idea they were capable of this. Jesus knows of everything that you and I are not only capable of, but have done and will do. And yet he has still chosen to give us mercy if we come to him in repentance. That's amazing. God is consistent. And not only that, God is consistent in forming us into the image of Jesus. Psalm chapter 119 and verse 75 says that in your faithfulness, you have afflicted me. Here's the key. For some of us, we think that the Christian life is just a, like a like life is all about fun and games and everything's going to go right. Listen, when you become a follower of Jesus, the real war begins. It begins because before we give our lives to Christ, before he changes our heart, we don't want anything to do with God. I mean, we may come to church on a Sunday morning, check our watch more between 11 and 12 than we do any other time. We may come and hear music that we like or or sermons that we may think are interesting or boring. But when we come to realize that Jesus is the one who we should be like, we realize that God brings things into our lives. He brings suffering along so that we would be made more like him. Because for most of us, we can look back at our lives if we've been saved and we say the greatest times of growth, of spiritual growth, of growing more like Jesus was the times, those are the times that we were most afflicted. There's other verses in Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says that we are being transformed into the same image, the image of Jesus. It means that when we get saved, God, kind of like a person who makes a statue out of stone, begins to chisel away what doesn't look like the goal. And so God in our lives will continue to chisel. He will prune us. And man, it is a painful process. It's one of those things to where you, you're just living, you're living for the Lord and all of a sudden he shows you something that you've never realized about your character. And you say, God, now I realize why I've been driving people away. Now I realize why drama follows me. I, I just thought it was all these churches. I just thought it were the, was these people. I thought it was this job. But then God begins to show us slowly more of who we actually are and who he is and he makes us into the image of Christ. You see, when the Bible talks about faithfulness, it's not just saying, here's a, here's a description of who God is, but it's saying this is what God makes us into. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 as we look at this amazing passage that, that zeroes in on faithfulness and enduring the race. It says in verse 1 of Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every Wait, and the sin which so which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and it is seated at the right hand of the throne of god and notice verse three consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And when we read the first word there of 
verse 1 in chapter 12, it's a therefore that takes us all the way back to the beginning of chapter 11. And if you've read the Bible um, at all in the book of Hebrews, this is like the hall of faith. It's kind of like the hall of fame for Old Testament believers. And what he's saying here in verse number one, when you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, he's saying that when you get saved, when you begin to follow Jesus Christ, you're not alone. You are of a long lineage of people who have fought battle after battle for the Lord, and yet he still sustained them. Go go back to to chapter um, 11 with me. And he, he gives these illustrations of the heritage that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. You've got there in verse number 8, Abraham. Do you remember Abraham and Sarah? And she's in her 90s, and and God says, you know what, I'm going to give you a baby. And she kind of laughs. She's like, God, I know you created uh, the human body, but not normal for ladies in their 90s to be giving birth to children. But the Bible says that God, that Abraham obeyed God. And he went, actually, when God told him, he says, Abraham, you're in a culture full of idol worshipers, but I'm going to call you out to do something special. I want you to move to a place you've never heard of before. What if God came to us and said that? Like it wasn't that we had had too much Taco Bell the night before. It wasn't a weird, freaky dream. It was that God's actually coming to us, and it is undeniable that God's saying, I want you to move to a new area and do something completely different. For some of us, we would say, let me pray about that. Right? Like that's the churchy way that we deal when God, we, we deal with God when he calls us to do stuff. Let me, let me pray about that. But the Bible says that Abraham believed God. So can you imagine that? You're Abraham, you go to your family, you're like, hey guys, um, pack your stuff, we're moving. Why are we moving? God told us to. Uh, where are we moving to? Not exactly sure. We'll find out when we get there. I mean, real, but the Bible says that he, he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And you have all of these amazing heroes in verse, in chapter 11. And then you've got Moses. It says that Moses, who was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, you talk about a good deal. Like a good deal in that time was not being considered a Hebrew baby boy because you'd be thrown into the Nile River and the use for alligator chow. It was infanticide on a national, epic, horrific scale. But yet, Pharaoh's daughter saw Moses there in the reed basket, and she basically adopted him. He had it made. Like, you're adopted by the daughter of the king of that area of the world. You couldn't get it any better. But then God revealed himself to Moses, and God says, you know what, I want you to follow me. Moses had an issue with anger. He killed a guy. Then he ran. So he, it's kind of like Moses is exiled. He's a fugitive. He's out in the back 40 taking care of sheep. God comes to him in a burning bush and says, Moses, I want you to follow me. Excuse after excuse after excuse. But it came to the point, it may come to the point here this morning for some of us, that we have given excuse after excuse after excuse about trusting God. And Moses finally said, you know what, Lord, I'll follow you. And Moses became one of the greatest heroes in all the Bible. You've got all of these stories. Go, go with me to verse 32. And it says, For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. I mean, when you, I don't know about you guys, but the Old Testament is absolutely awesome. I mean, especially when you get into First and Second Samuel, you've got wars. You've got one of David's mighty men going into a pit on a snowy day and he killed a lion. 
Like for us, when it starts to snow, we're like, let's get home. And let's buy bread and eggs and milk, even though we won't eat that or drink that all through the snow, right? That's funny. You know what he did? He got a spear. And like, what are you doing? I'm going to go out and find something to kill. Like he was one of David's mighty men. Like that's what he did. These guys were absolutely amazing. I mean, they were warriors for God. Awesome stories. You've got drama. For those of you that enjoy the drama, I mean, there is drama on top of drama in the Old Testament. But God would raise up a faithful woman. He would raise up a faithful man. And they would, by faith and faithfulness to God, follow him. And so what the Bible is saying there in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, therefore, because of all these things, man, you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. It means that we are not alone. And notice how it describes in verse 33 the conquering awesomeness of the Old Testament quote-unquote heroes. It says, who through what? Faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, time out. Like, wouldn't we like to have that stuff on our resume? I mean, you talk about cool experiences. I mean, that that would be awesome. And it, and it goes further in verse 34. Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. I mean, that's you at the end of the day, as the Bible said in the Old Testament, the strength for going out to battle and also for coming in. I mean, to see the enemy running as fast as they could to get out of your territory. And I mean, basically being... You you want some more of this? I mean, we have faith in God. He can take care of us. I mean, that type of awesome, unexplainable victory. And it says in verse 35, women receive back their dead by resurrection. But then it shifts. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Verse 36 gets Worse, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were, this is the prophet Isaiah, they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Do you realize that as a follower of Christ, you were not alone? You're not alone here. You're not alone historically. But here's a question for us to really think about. All of us would love putting foreign armies to flight, closing the mouths of lions, all that awesome stuff. I mean, we don't look for bad experiences. But what if God in his sovereignty and his wisdom chose to give us to that second group so that he could be glorified by our faithfulness in sickness? And it very well could be, um, for those of you that keep up with what's happening um, all over the Western world, it very well could be that our teaching and our preaching here, um, what we do in a group, could be considered hate speech um, at a future time, and we would have to go underground as a church, and uh, and I would be thrown in, in jail, possibly, or we would be fined excessively for teaching the gospel, and we could have a party in jail. It's okay, amen, right? 
But what if in God's sovereignty and his wisdom, he chooses us for the second group? To be ridiculed, to be scorned, to have our homes, our livelihood, our health taken away, to have dignity taken away so that people could see us absolutely devastated in the greatest catastrophe we or anyone else could ever imagine, but then to say, wow, they're still faithful to the sovereign God of the universe? How does that work? When we talk about faithfulness, man, I, I, I enjoy worshiping with you guys on Sunday morning, and sometimes when we sing these, these ancient hymns that the words are so rich, and we sing about Jesus overcoming and the music and the words is just, they're so powerful. You just sometimes want to get a little expressive. You say, Lord, you've done so much in our lives. Thank you. Thank you for helping us be faithful through tragedy. But here's, here's the thing. It's easy for us to raise our hands in worship when we had the health to get here, when we had vehicles. But will we still be faithful to God if all of that was taken away? You see, we don't come to God to get a more improved life, right? We don't come to Jesus Christ for life enhancement. We come to Jesus Christ to be forgiven of our sins. And when we are forgiven for our sins, and when we don't play the church card of saying, I need to rededicate, you can't rededicate a corpse, When we come to that point of saying, God, I have nothing to give you but my filthy rags. I have nothing to offer you, God, but shame and regret. It's at that point that God gives us a hope that transcends, it blows away, it goes over, it supersedes any type of physical or financial issue. But will we be willing to be faithful to Jesus Christ? If we're in the latter group, you know, in success, we're not alone. For some of you, it may be that God has blessed you with good health, good family, good job. You've got money to to put back. You may be even playing around with some stocks and making money on that. I mean, whatever it may be, you know, like, like, I'm not trying to be arrogant, Jeff. I'm not trying to say I'm all that in a bag of chips, but it seems like God just keeps on blessing me. Listen, you're not alone in blessing. I'm not alone in blessing. And none of us are alone in tragedy. Amen. So when the Bible says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, it doesn't say that we're supposed to pray to dead believers, people who have gone on. It doesn't even mean that they're watching us. It simply means that when we look at tragedy and when we look at success, the Bible says, let us lay aside every weight, oh man, and keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, for some of us, we've got the wrong view of Jesus. We, we look at Hebrews chapter 12 and the latter parts of, part of verse 1, and it says, let us also lay aside every weight. And we think this, and I hear this all the time. See, Jeff, I've got some fun things I need to do, and then I'll give my life to Jesus Christ. Or if I give my life to Jesus Christ, then that means I'll have to stop. And it's this long list of things that we believe are fun. Jesus doesn't say put aside the sin 
that clings so closely or entangles. He doesn't say lay aside every weight because Jesus is against fun, but because Jesus knows that sin spoils opportunities to make the most of life. He knows that sin destroys. He knows that, he knows that sin creates rifts in relationships. Because you see, for some of us here today, we're like, dude, if I get saved, I'll never be able to drink again. If I get saved, I'll never be able to get high. If I get saved, I'll never be able to have someone else on the side sexually. If, if I get saved, I'm going to have to reorganize my finances. But listen, when Jesus changes our heart, he helps us see how those things are not actually fun, but they destroy the soul. Jesus is not against fun. Jesus is against the fun. That, I don't know what you guys are doing here, but it's awesome. Getting back at 3 a.m. nodding for a sermon. I mean, good night. Some of us, we work half a day on Saturday. Like, well, I need to take a Sabbath. Right? I mean, when Jesus saves you and he gives us that life and he helps us see how many Christians have come before us. Oh, my goodness. I've been reading some books on prayer, punching me in the face. I mean, absolutely amazing to see how these giants of prayer through Christian history hit their knees time and time again. People that we will be like, whoa, Mr. Miss Smarty Pants, degree, experiences, gone overseas and all these crazy things. But it seems like all of those, quote unquote, great Christian leaders, they come back to the fact they say none of this could be possible without prayer. You see, for some of us, we think that Jesus is a killjoy. But Jesus actually wants to remove those things that actually kill joy. And for some of us here, the road to unfaithfulness, I I hope you hear this. The road to being unfaithful to Jesus, it's very rarely the big billboard that says, burn your Bible, become an atheist. Start reading Anton LaVey and join the church of Satan. Big, crazy, flashy billboard. There's not actually one, but imagine if there were. Like, it doesn't happen that way, but it happens through little compromises, little pamphlets we receive blowing down the street, and we pick it up, and it says, don't worry about talking to Jesus today, do it tomorrow. Little things that we find in the corner of a library that says, Don't worry about forgiving that person. They deserve you being angry at them. And bit by bit, it's a slow fade until we realize, like Peter, that we've denied Jesus. Do you remember what happened with Peter when he denied Jesus? Like, I don't even know the man. That's apostasy. But it didn't just happen that Peter's serving with Jesus one minute, and then the next minute, he's like, I never knew him. Peter refused to stay up with Jesus simply to pray. So for some of us, we think about these little things. And we say it's a little thing. Little things are big things. Um, had Mike Deems come and, and cut down a tree in the backyard uh, last fall. And it's this big tree has been dead ever since uh, I was here. And it was dropping limbs and making it difficult for the yard guys. So we, we took it down. And looking at that trunk. All, have you ever seen a termite-eaten tree? I mean, it is kind of cool in a sense, right? I mean, all of these designs with these little tiny bugs. And as I looked at that trunk, I said, you know, what started out small ended up very big. And for some of us, we think Islam, atheism, snorting crack, 
crazy, crazy, big, big, big sins, right? Shooting up, going, going clubbing, coming home, going home with somebody. But for many of us, the issue of faithfulness lies in the little things. And may it be that in my life and in the life of our church, that we get up every single day and we realize the great cloud of witnesses that we are surrounded by and by how many of you, I wish we had time to tell these stories, how many of you are here because a friend or a family member reached out to you. You came to church, they explained the gospel to you outside of these walls. A few years ago, a few months ago, you were not saved, but today you're here worshiping Jesus Christ. Praise God.